All in all, it was a pretty fabulous time to be fat. Howdy, you're listening to Come and Take It, a talk show about Texas by Texans. We're three friends born and raised in the Lone Star State, share our views on the history, culture, and just what it means to be Texan. I'm Mike Zolkowski. I'm Sean McIver. And I'm Scott Elfstrom. From the 1860s to the 1920s, a strange phenomena took a hold across the country and in Texas. Those years were the era when the surest sign of wealth and prosperity in a man was tied to his girth. This week we look at the wild world of the Fat Men's Clubs of Texas. But first, what's your favorite Texas nut-based candy? I'm going to stop it right here. Like, old school Tex-Mex restaurant, it's those pecan praline candies. And it's not the goofy chewy ones that are like all chocolatey and silly. The real old school ones. They're just, they're absolutely delicious. Super perfect. Like, like the red ones or like the, just the regular kind of caramely color? They're the caramely color ones. They're basically just pecans and caramel like dropped on a sheet. Right. Yeah. Old school. Old school. It's easy. It means mm-hmm. you're in a really great Mexican restaurant when they have a, a stack of those next to the register. Yeah, well, you just stole mine, so um, I'm going to go with my current favorite uh, sweet nut-based treat, which is the Kraken Up Pecan Porter from 903 Brewers in Sherman. Um, I'm going to say that counts, because it's sweet and delicious. It's a good beer. It sounds pretty good. It is. It is. It's really their, good. Uh, their coconut, uh, was it ale? Coconut lager? Uh, it is a cream ale, toasted coconut, coconut, coconut. Yeah, toasted the chosen coconut. one. It's fantastic. Uh, well, I'm going to go with a actual candy that is made in Texas by Texans. Lufkin's own Atkinson Candy Company. They make uh, the Chico Stick, which is basically a looks like a cigar that's been rolled in coconut. <laughs> uh, it is made with peanut butter and sugar and coconut and deliciousness. Uh, you bite into it, your teeth, it sticks to your teeth like concrete, but I sure do love gnawing on a Chico stick. Some good stuff. Love it. Chico stick and like a, like a really cold Coca-Cola or a RC Cola, something like that. Some good stuff. I love it. So are, are coconuts actually nuts? They are nuts. They are, they are nuts. It's they a have nut, nut in, in the, the name. Word. Yes, they are I, I, I guess if my beer, tree. I guess if I can say my beer is candy, then you can say your coconut is a nut. Yeah. Now, honorable mention, I am not a fan of Dr. Pepper, as everyone knows. However, uh, it is a good Texas tradition to take a bag of uh, peanuts and pour them into a bottle of Dr. Pepper uh, and watch a baseball game while you're drinking your Dr. Pepper and eating your peanuts. Uh, through that has been soaking in the Dr. Pepper. So hmm. that's definitely a Texas thing to do. Hmm. You want to get nuts? Let's get nuts. <laughs> <laughs> Batman. During the decades before and after the turn of the 20th century, there was a peculiar phenomenon of the Gilded Age that struck Texas and indeed the whole country. In a time when a man's social status often depended on the company he kept, a number of social clubs for heavyset men flourished across the land. This was the era of the Fat Man Club. To be a member, a gentleman had to be at least 200 pounds and had to pay some fee, usually around a dollar, 
or maybe it would be about $25 in, in today's money. The purpose of these clubs, which had rules, structures, officers, and administration, was to, quote, draw the fat man into closer fraternal relations. Now, these social clubs, like most of their other skinny counterparts, had busy calendars for their members. They networked at balls, sporting events, and banquets. And before many of the events, they held competitive weigh-ins where the largest members heralded their size. There was such competition in these weigh-ins that men would sometimes cheat by stuffing weights into their pockets. According to Carrie Seagrave's Obesity in America, 1850-1939, A History of Social Attitudes and Treatments, one fat men's club in Ohio used the weigh-ins to decide their club's next president, with the heaviest man gaining the title. The origins of the fat men's clubs are pretty well known. We know the earliest one on record was in 1866, when a fat man's club was opened in Connecticut as a publicity stunt for a hotel. Local newspapers picked up on the story as a lark, and this caused the idea to spread, with one in New York City opening in 1869, and chapters soon sprung up across the country. They even uh, showed up in France and Germany. No one is sure why these got so popular. Uh, the timing of the first clubs a year after the Civil War can't be coincidental. Probably a year of peace and prosperity, at least in the North, contributed to the expanding waistlines of their members. As to why society at the time seemed so taken with portly men, well, in the 19th and early 20th centuries, attitudes about fat bodies were pretty different than they are now. What qualified a man for a fraternal order of fat men in 1890 is today only about four pounds over the average male in the United States in 2015. The frontier was closing, but most Americans either lived a rural life or in grinding poverty in the city. Average heights and weights were much lower at the time, so that even a 200-pound man would be considered fat. To the people of the time when these clubs were at their peak, there was a positive association of men who were big with wealth and affability, not just in the East Coast, but across the country. The idea of a fat cat at the time was actually a positive one and not a negative image. Now, the membership roles of Texas's fat men's club showed that these fellows were certainly not pinching any pennies. And the list of those members' occupations included mining executives, railroad presidents, successful butchers and liquor dealers, and in later years, of course, oil barons. Big men were also believed to be kinder and more sociable than skinny men who might be misers. Why would they be? Why would they be so rich and not eat? The Mineola Monitor, which was a newspaper of the time, ran an op-ed in 1899 about why women should prefer fat men. Quote, it may be observed without intentional offense to any young lady who might be enamored of some skeleton-like young man that, as a rule, fat men, besides being the most jolly and convivial of the male species, are also apt to be the most considerate of and charitable to others. The column concluded, the fact still remains that seven out of ten fat men make excellent husbands. All in all, it was a pretty fabulous time to be fat. A fat man could be in a club anywhere from New England, which had over 10,000 members at its peak, to Paris, where one had to weigh 100 kilos, to Belgrade, to London, where members had to pay a fine if they didn't meet the minimum weight. Texas played host to a wide variety of fat men's clubs, including those in Abilene, Brenham, Brownsville, Dallas, Deming, Edinburgh, El Paso, Fort Worth, Galveston, Huntsville, Mineral Wells, Weatherford, and San Antonio. 
Most of the local clubs were affiliated with a state association of some sort, with Texas having theirs based in Galveston. Texas being Texas, newspaper accounts of Lone Star State's fat clubs yield some pretty wild stories. According to the Van Zamp County Genealogical Society, each man of the Canton Fat Man's Club had to be weighed in a cotton gin to verify his qualifications. In 1892, the Velasco Times warned readers that, quote, the fat men's excursion would be coming to their town by steamship, presumably so that the town could get ready to have enough food on hand for these girthy gentlemen. In Weatherford, there was a controversy where members stuffed horseshoes and other metal weights in their pockets before a 1920 baseball game. In El Paso, in 1902, the El Paso Daily Times ran a story about a certain Mr. Reckhardt and his preparation for an upcoming party at the local fat men club. Quote, Reckhardt is fasting, read the headline. Must have been a slow news day. Well, the story detailed that he was, quote, eating only one 15-cent meal a day so that he could gorge himself at the party, which was known for whatever reason at the time as a, quote, foolisher. The foolisher committee was nervous about the food and drink holding out if Reckhart got there on an empty stomach. So, to prevent disaster, <laughs> the club members were, quote, seriously contemplating holding a court-martial. They told Reckhart if he expected to come to the party, they wanted him to be, quote, at least partly fed. <laughs> come no. partly fed. The next party we have... Come partly fed. Well, I believe the modern term is arrive having eaten. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Now, of course, the foolishers and parties and feasts are a huge part of what makes the fat clubs fat clubs and their members fat. Whereas in France, they gorged on escargot and in New York on steak Delmonico. In Texas, they had barbecue. In 1902, during El Paso's annual Picnic of the Fat Men, where Mr. Reckhart was the weigh-in champion, they served the, quote, tenderest beef ever eaten in Texas. In addition to the food and drink, there were fireworks, and the members had the run of the town in a trolley. The original party bus, I guess. The El Paso Daily Times reported that the fats themselves made Rome howl on their trolley ride, scaring all the horses within reach of the cars with their fireworks and making Juarez tremble with the noise. There were also oyster roasts. On September 1st, 1891, the fat men of Galveston had seafood that was so good that, quote, quite a number of oysters were stowed away inside the vests of the fat men. But it's not just eating. Oddly enough, the fat men of Texas were just as enraptured of America's pastime as their skinny counterparts were. Texas had its own fat men's club baseball league, where clubs traveled far and wide to play against their portly brothers. A Brownsville paper report on one particular road trip on April 6, 1909. A report was brought in this afternoon that one of the horses that were hauling the fat men's team to the baseball park dropped dead on the way. How the team finally got to the park is not learned. The price of the horse will be charged to the fat men. (laughs) Oh, Lord. Well, on October 1st, 1920, the clubs in the neighboring towns of Weatherford and Mineral Wells played each other during that same season that Weatherford had been accused of cheating in their weigh-ins. The average weight of the visiting Mineral Wells team was 205 pounds. The Weatherford boys averaged at 200, which means that in both cases— there might be players under the minimum weight. Mineral Wells accused Weatherford's crack catcher of not being fat enough, which is probably the only time in baseball that ever happened. 
Weatherford hit back with a quick defense. Quote, what he lacked in weight, he made up for in height, which, of course, makes me zero sense whatsoever. Now, this was enough, though, to satisfy the crowd because they were waiting for the Titans to clash. This game soon degenerated into chaos with so many sideline tussles that broke out between the two fat clubs that, quote, moderators were placed around the field to break up brawls. The Weatherford Daily Herald reporter who uh, wrote about the game preserved the moment forever. You've seen a large stone thrown into a muddy puddle of water, haven't you? You know the proverbial result of a party stepping on a banana peel? You have read of head-on collisions between freight trains loaded with cabbage, onions, etc. The combined effects of these three gives a faint idea of the sounds, sights, and smells when fat meets fat. Weatherford bested the Wells boys on the field, presumably crazy water not being enough to carry the day. The two teams closed out the day with a banquet, of course. In a toast, the Mineral Wells promised that they would win the next game on their home turf, where the, quote, real fat men of Mineral Wells, who had been too heavy to find an automobile to wheel them to Weatherford, would come out to bat. This was the tale of the end of the era of the fat man. In the 1920s, attitudes began to change about obesity and overeating. Doctors and insurance companies warned about the negative side effects of obesity and recommended both healthy diet and exercise for life longevity. Technology enabled people to begin to monitor weight from home, and weighing-in became a private shameful affair, where public weigh-ins became distasteful to polite American society's views on weight. Additionally, the standard of living had been increasing since the turn of the century, and higher quality food became available to a lower class of society. And rickets became less of a thing. (laughs) As the poor got heavier, the wealthy stopped seeing girth as a badge of prosperity. Finally, as the 20s closed, many of the wealthy or semi-wealthy lost everything in the economic collapse of the Depression. Those fat men who kept their wealth were seen as part of the problem and not something to aspire to. Texas's fat club's activity rapidly fell off. The Texas Association held on longer than most did, but by the late 20s, there were no more reports of the annual gatherings of their antics, and the Galveston Club officially closed. These clubs and the odd movement behind it are now a forgotten part of our history, a time capsule look at a different perspective on rich male privilege. Ultimately, as we look at the problems of obesity in this country today, I think it's still okay to laugh at the crazy antics from when fat was fashionable in Texas. Well, you know, this is this is a great little nugget of a story you dug up, Sean. Uh, I, I I have a couple of images. Like, I think of the, um, of course, you think of, like, the, the baseball part. I mean, you think of, like, the, the classic uh, undercranked footage of, like, Babe Ruth. Yeah. You know, you know cranking out uh, home runs. <clears throat> and then, like, sort of a portly jog around the <laughs> around the diamonds. Yeah. Um, but then I also I sent it out to you guys as the um, from the um, we're showing our age here, folks. Uh, from the '90s, there was of course Warrant's "Dirty, Rotten, Filthy, Stinking Rich" album, which has just you know like the yes. the, the modern image of what is fat versus that. And uh, I don't know. It it's kind of a odd, quaint throwback. Also, yeah. Well, I mean. 200 I mean, pounds the fact, is not fat anymore. <laughs> no, no, yeah, exactly. It's it's four pounds over the average weight of Americans, and it's you know a a 200 pound person that's that's the right height could still be I mean considered skinny and thin. So you know yeah, it's just I, it's, I would go ahead, Scott. I'm gonna say I would never be able to get in. I mean, if I 
tried to yeah. pack on, uh, you know, a hundred pounds of uh, horseshoes, that it would be pretty pretty obvious that uh, <laughs> well, I, I, I did mean, not pack that on. I mean, let's be yeah. fair. Like you look at like pictures of like Fatty Arbuckle from the time, and yeah. you're like, oh, yeah, he's not that fat. Like, well, he, I, he's a big gentleman, but he's he's big and tall, but big and well, tall. Well, keep in mind that this weight. was also. Yeah, keep in mind this is also relatively around the time that uh, uh, someone like Babe Ruth was one of the premier athletes. Um, he was not what I would consider athletic <laughs> by today's standards. Right, right. Well, I, I think like there's this is just this whole thing just paints a picture in the mind of 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 that. But but then again, you know, it's like you know. We know some some lovely portly gentlemen who are kind well, of inconsiderate. Okay. So you know. I am a I am overweight and uh, I'm a big <laughs> man. I'm a husky fellow. I shop in the husky child section of the store, but uh, uh, yeah, I would be fine in the fat men's club. I would I would quite easily get in, but it, it's it's just more of a of a class kind of thing too because um, it, it was unusual to see someone who was six feet tall and weighed three three hundred pounds or who was five foot nine and weighed 200 pounds. So it, it was, it was an odd time, but you know, when you think about it is you know, Sam Houston was considered a very large man for his time. And he was probably around six feet tall as, uh, Jim Bowie was considered a giant. He was maybe six feet tall. So this was a different time because nutrition was different at the time. But I, I just think it's very fascinating that, you know, you, you think about a social club and you think about, you know, you think about Sherlock Holmes sitting at this, at this in the social club, you know, smoking a pipe, and and uh, you know, Doctor Doctor Watson comes in to meet him, and you know that that's the social club that you think of. You don't think of fat men eating barbecue. Well, I just I think <laughs> of the uh, you know you think of like the Lions Club or the Knights of Columbus or any of those kind of for you know. The Shriners, all these fraternal men's organizations that are, are hanging around, and you think about those, you know, that sort of, or whatever the one was with the buffalo hats from uh, the Flintstones. But the, you know, the idea is, is that you, you think of these as, oh, these were just sort of men's clubs, but it's just interesting. It was just like, let's get all the fat guys in town together and have a barbecue. Uh, I did like the part where, where um, they they blame the death of a horse, <laughs> on 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 the famous club and they're like well we can't bring our truly great fat men with us because we couldn't find a sufficient automobile to bring them to this yes. party yes i i like the uh, i love the story of record is fasting <laughs> like right. this was a this newspaper headline in el paso like what yeah. was going on in 1902 <laughs> that record is fasting He's only yeah, eating the, a fifteen cent a meal a day. Yeah, that uh, newspaper segment uh, th that I read back there is just perfect, dead on. Mm -hmm. the The combined effects of these three gives a faint idea of the sounds, sights, and smells of when fat meets fat. I mean, it's so <laughs> dramatic. Well, and the idea, oh, he's. <laughs> He's, he's, Freight he's trains, stuck. banana peels, and muddy yeah. puddles of water. Yeah, and then their their catcher, they've got a ringer for a catcher. It's like, well, he's he's not fat, but he's tall. <laughs> it's not <laughs> yeah. tall man's club. This is a fat man's club. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> 
Oh, oh boy, this is a good story. This is a good story. It's just a different time. That's the big thing. Yeah. Now, you know, is that we don't we don't. Quite frankly, now at this point, if they had Fat Men's Club, everybody could be a member. A lot of the majority of the American public could be a member. So, you know, the, this was not a healthy time for America, but also the average life expectancy at the time was much lower than it is today. So, like you said, they they had rickets back then. They had bullets. <laughs> so, if you could make it to being fat, then that was something to be accomplished. I think in today's day and age, we should uh, start the Short Men's Club. <laughs> oh, there you go. There you go. Well, there you go. Let, let it let it catch 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 fire in Texas. Yeah, five, ten, and under. That's all it takes, boys. Yeah. So, if you have any stories of your great grandparents, uh, great grandfathers being a member of a fat men's club, we'd love to hear from it. On so, let us know on Facebook if you if you know about these fat men's clubs. That's awesome. That's excellent. Great job, team. So if you've got the fun stories, make sure you drop us a line and share it. That wraps things up for today. You can find notes and links from today's show at brainstable.com. We'd love to hear from you, so like and share us on Facebook, follow the show on Twitter at Texas Podcast, or get over to brainstable.com and leave some feedback. You can find our show and many other great history podcasts at historypodcasters.com. And why not follow us individually, too? I'm on Twitter at Mr. Java. I'm Mike Shaw with two N. And I'm Scotticus. If you love the show, tell your friends. Leave a review on iTunes because that helps us out to find listeners just like you. And if you'd like to support the show financially, please visit patreon.com slash texaspodcast, where you too can become a come-and-take-it Texas Ranger. We hope you'll join us next time. And remember that even if you aren't from Texas, Texas wants you anyway. Thank you.